Zach Wilson, offensive line upgrades, and more. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com. Thank you so much for making this show your first listen each day. Today we have our weekly mailbag ahead on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is our weekly mailbag show. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We begin with a question about Zach Wilson. Can you point to examples of rookies struggling like Wilson and then getting it at some point? For me, Wilson appears to be having an issue with confidence and seems desperate to show he can hit short passes, which leads to fast, high throws. Is this not a fixable issue? Well, to answer the first question, yes. There are plenty of examples of players who really struggled early in their careers. I've seen plenty of Jets fans point to the similarities between Zach Wilson and Josh Allen at this point in his career. Josh Allen came out of Wyoming. He was a very raw prospect, needed a lot of refinement, and Buffalo really did not do a very good job of bringing in a veteran stopgap. In fact, they got rid of their veteran stopgap before Josh Allen's rookie year. They traded Tyrod Taylor to Cleveland, and Nathan Peterman started one game before he showed he was Nathan Peterman and could not be trusted to be in the lineup. So Josh Allen was probably pressed into starting duty before he should have been, and he struggled accordingly. I mean, I think back, you know, if you're talking New York, Eli Manning got to a very rough start in his career. Even though the Giants made the playoffs in his second and third seasons, he really was not that great. It really only began to come on near the end of his fourth season, and that was the Super Bowl run for the Giants. That team was not really quarterback-driven in the early days with Eli. Now, they got quarterback-driven later on, And I'm sure I can come up with any number of examples of quarterbacks who struggled early out of the gate. But I also need to point out that for every Josh Allen or Eli Manning or any quarterback you could name who struggled out of the gate, there are many more who struggle out of the gate and never improve. So when I talk about Zach Wilson, I want to make it clear, too early to give up on him. Plenty of examples of guys who succeeded. But I don't think the alarm level can be at zero because... Right now, if you look at a player with the start of the career Zach Wilson has had, there are a lot more examples of guys who did not put it together than guys who did. Now, are his issues fixable? Well, look, any issue is fixable theoretically. It all comes down to the player's capabilities. It comes down to the coaching you get. There are a lot of factors that come into play. You want as few issues that need to be fixed as possible, though, because it's not easy to fix issues for everybody. Now, for some guys, it is. You know, it's amazing how difficult it is to evaluate players because I've seen plenty of people mock the scouting reports that questioned Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon. And to be honest with you, if you go back and watch Justin Herbert at Oregon, I think a lot of the concerns were valid. It's just, I think Justin Herbert had a capacity to learn very quickly once he got to the NFL. Things just clicked for him overnight. And I think sometimes we get a little bit crazy giving out arbitrary dates for players that it's going to take them to develop. Like when Herbert came out, I heard he'll need to sit a year. He'll need to sit two years. These are just arbitrary numbers. 
I think what should have been said is Herbert needs to learn certain things. We don't know how long it's going to take. And for Herbert, it did not take very long. For Zach, I mean, there's a lot I think he needs to work on right now. I think beyond the stuff that was mentioned here about him having an issue with confidence and being desperate to show he can hit throws, I think, you know, he's got issues reading a defense right now. And these are basic things. And you expect quarterbacks to struggle to some extent. You know, in college, you're not going to see many defensive ends drop into coverage like you do in the NFL. Coverages are more complex in the NFL. And to some extent, you're going to struggle because you've just never seen things before. And the more you see them, the more comfortable you get with them. But I think Zach's really struggling on a very basic level right now. And like I said, I'm not saying give up on him. I'm saying that the concern level should not be zero. I've seen people try and dismiss these concerns about Zach Wilson. And to be honest with you, I don't think that's fair right now. I think there are some troubling things. Can these things be overcome? Yes. We don't know where Zach Wilson is going to end up. It goes back to something that I like to say pretty frequently. We rush to the end of the story sometimes. You don't know how it's going to end for him. And it's okay to say, I don't know. You don't need to declare him a bust. You don't need to declare he's definitely going to figure it out. We need to find out. This is where he is right now. Next question. Looking forward to 2022, how do you think the Jets should approach the offensive line? I feel like they need to make some significant long-term upgrades. Who would you like to see brought back? Also, if we finish with two top 10 picks, would you be against using both of those on offensive linemen? Well, I think the biggest thing is you'd like to see Becton get healthy and you'd like to see him produce down the stretch. And I talked a little bit about that yesterday. I mean, I think in some capacity, all of these guys could be brought back. Vera Tucker is obviously, I think, a cornerstone player on this line. I'd like to keep George Fant. And if you can keep Morgan Moses, who I think to some extent has been a disappointment, I don't think that would be the worst scenario in the world. Because I said this yesterday, I'd like to have three starting caliber tackles. And even if Fant becomes the swing tackle where he's the first guy off the bench at both left and right tackle, you're probably paying too much for him. But I'm willing to overpay for that because offensive line depth is a commodity, a luxury few teams in the NFL have. So I got no issue, even if you're paying a little bit more than you'd like to for a backup offensive lineman, I got no issue keeping Fant for another year at his current price tag because we've seen how valuable it is. And, you know, if you look at the way Fant has played and the way the Fant has helped the Jets weather the loss of Becton, lots of teams, when the left tackle goes down, you're done. You're finished. And that has not been the case with the Jets. So maybe you could say Fant's not overpaid. Because he's kind of helped keep the Jets afloat this year. I think George Fant has been one of the unsung heroes of this team. Is he a great left tackle? No. But he's a guy the Jets have leaned on this year. And he's delivered in a way maybe he did not last year. And you go across the line, I think McGovern's doing a decent job. Um, Now, the guy they just got from Kansas City, we don't really know a lot about him. I do think he's helped improve the play at right guard. Duvernay Tardif. We'll need to see more out of him. But to the second question, if the Jets get two top 10 picks, would I be against using both of those on offensive linemen? You know, it depends. I think the worst thing you can do going into a draft is saying we're definitely taking a player at this position. And there are some exceptions. You know, a couple of years ago, you can see where the Jets were. They really needed a tackle. The strength of the class lined up at the tackle position. That was a situation where maybe you'd say, okay, things are lining up here probably should take a tackle in the first round but I tend to think teams and fans overrate the importance of taking a player at x position because 
value needs to match up with where you're picking. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes teams reach for needs. And that's a very dangerous thing. But one thing I like to do when I get these hypothetical questions is I like to look back at history and see, okay, when has this happened before and did it end up working out for a team? And that can kind of tell you whether or not it's a decent idea or not. And all right, this was not a case where the Jets had two top five picks, but there was a point not that long ago where they had two first round picks and they used them both on offensive linemen. One was DeBrickishaw Ferguson. The other was Nick Mangold. I think that worked out pretty well. And even though I don't know that, and this is kind of an open question with Duvernay Tardif, can he play effectively over the long haul? I think he's been decent the first couple of weeks. Even though I'm not sure there's a spot where I'd look at and say, that's a glaring weakness. The way I have for the center position forever, you know, Wesley Johnson, Jonathan Harrison, Ryan Khalil, Spencer Long, there's no player of that caliber on this line anymore, especially with Van Roten now on the bench. And I think Van Roten's actually not a horrible backup. He's probably in a role better suited to his level of play. But there's a difference between a unit not being a weakness and a unit being a strength. And sometimes when we talk about filling needs, we're only focused on the areas the team's weakest. And we don't view enough the idea that this is an area that's okay, but we can build it into a major strength. We can build it into a unit that imposes its will on the opposition, makes the other team account for it. And that's the way I think of the offensive line here. You know, is it weak? Is it hopeless? Especially now at right guard, now that we've made the change, I don't think so. But it's not a dominant unit yet. And a couple of years back, I remember when the Jets picked Becton, and I remember, I remember some people said, oh, the line's fixed now. I'm like, the line's not fixed now. You got the first piece of the line. But if you look at the great offensive lines in the NFL, they're built over many years because you got to keep investing early picks on the offensive line. That's how they're built. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't go from as bad as the Jets were a couple of years ago on the offensive line to a great unit overnight. You keep investing over and over. And while I'm not a big fan of necessarily focusing on X position on the offensive line with four picks in the first two rounds, I think it would be a bit of a surprise, and I'm not sure how much I'd love it if the Jets did not use at least one of those picks on the offensive line. But if the talent lines up, if you find a couple of blue-chip prospects on the offensive line, would I necessarily pick two offensive linemen in the top 10? It depends on what else is out there. Would I say this is a horrible idea that you cannot do? No, because, and again, not necessarily the exact same situation because picks weren't both in the top five, but... We've had some good success in the past picking two offensive linemen in the first round. So I can't complain about that if that happens. Now, ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, our mailbag will continue. We'll talk more about Zach Wilson. We'll talk a little bit about Robert Sala. But before we get to that, we are past Thanksgiving, moving into the holiday season, and Bet Online has you covered all season for more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues to march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. That's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season because Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, it's where the game starts. 
Thanks again for making Locked On Jets your first listen each day. Today we are having our weekly mailbag. Our next question. We have seen the throwing yips in baseball. Steve Sachs could not throw to first base. Mickey Sasser could not throw the ball back to the pitcher. Rick Ankiel could not play catch with the catcher. Does Wilson have the short pass yips? Looks to me like he's going in that direction, and that's not good for a passing scheme that values the check down. It seems to me that Wilson is still trying to play hero ball, even as he's trying to get with the boring program. Well, I certainly hope that's not it. Another player from baseball who comes to mind for me is Chuck Knobloch, who had issues throwing from second base to first base when he was with the Yankees, and a lot of this could be in his head. That would seem like a problem for a quarterback. You know, quarterback... That position is really based on throwing the ball. So if you have a player who cannot throw the ball accurately because of something in his head, that seems like a pretty big problem to me. So I certainly hope that's not the case because that could be really, really, really problematic for some pretty obvious reasons. Our next question, how can Robert Sala improve his game management? So I'm not sure this is necessarily a Salah-specific game management thing, but it is something I've noticed the last few weeks from the Jets. And I kind of go back to when Mike LaFleur went up into the booth, because in the early part of the season, he was calling the plays from the field. And then prior to the Cincinnati game, the Mike White game, LaFleur went into the booth to call plays. And it seems to me ever since then, the Jets, especially situationally, have had issues relaying the play from the play caller to the huddle. And I'm sure the procedure has changed since LaFleur moved to the booth, but especially on key downs, you know, fourth down plays. I mean, how many times on fourth and one over the last few weeks have the Jets either taken a delay of game penalty or been forced to use a timeout? So that's something I think Salah needs to address. And again, it's not specific to him. But it's his responsibility to fix this. He needs to figure out what's going wrong. Why are they not getting in these plays quickly enough? Is it a case where LaFleur is not knowing what he wants to call quickly enough? Is it a case that they're having issues relaying things in? That needs to be fixed because the Jets in too many of these key spots are really having issues. And it's going to cost them. I mean, I think it already has cost them at some point. But they got to get their act together in those situations. Next question. I like Salah and want to see him succeed. And of all the AFC teams, the Jets deserve some success. So this is not a negative question, but hypothetical. What would Salah have to do to get fired at the end of the season? Or is that impossible? Well, listen, nothing is ever impossible, but I think the odds of Salah being one and done have always been very, very low. And the Jets beating Houston on Sunday does a lot of damage to any chance of Salah being one and done because first of all Salah can now go to his bosses and say look you won two games last year I improved the team we won at least three games this year but beyond that a scenario where Salah gets fired after one year would have to be a complete and total disaster and the way you get to a complete and total disaster is you lose to a team like Houston, which is 2-8. and eight. And not only lose, they would have need, needed to be blown out. So at 14-3, I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I still think Sal is going to survive, but at 14-3, Jets get blown out today, and they end the season. They go on a long losing streak. They finish 2-15. and 15. I don't think the odds are zero at that point. So 
this win over Houston, I think, does a lot of damage to any odds of Salah being one and done with this team because you, I think, have now kind of evaded the absolute worst-case scenario. I think if it's going to happen, Jets are going to need to lose a lot of games very quickly. They're going to need to get blown out. But even then, I just am not sure it's going to happen. A lot of this goes to expectations. Now, let's look at some of the recent Jets firings that happened within a year or two. There was John Idzik. Idzik wanted to rebuild. Woody Johnson never really bought in, though. I mean, that offseason when Idzik was not spending, he was talking about, I want to go to the playoffs. I'm not patient. Those were things he said. The coach at the time was also Rex Ryan. Rex was coaching for his job. Rex had no luxury. Rex did not have the luxury of waiting to see the team build slowly. So the organization was really not on the same page. The owner wanted to win. The head coach wanted to win. Idzik's approach, they were just not going to accept it. So that was a situation where you could see where a guy could get fired quickly. Now, obviously, Adam Gase, after two seasons, Jets just fired him. Was Gase really buying into a rebuild? Well, all you have to do is look at what happened in Miami. Now, there were lots of reasons the Dolphins fired him after the 2018 season. But when the owner was asked directly, you know what he said? He said, you know what? We're tearing this thing down. And Adam said he did not want to be part of a rebuild. That was part of the reason the Dolphins moved on from Gase, is that the Dolphins were pretty much starting from square one, and Gase did not want to do that. He wanted to go somewhere where he could win. So I don't think there was ever the expectation that the Jets were in square one of a rebuild when they hired Adam Gase. In fact, they were spending big money that offseason. There was an expectation he was going to get Sam Darnold to perform at a very high level. The Jets were going to be on the move very quickly. The situation is very different for the Jets heading into this season. Douglas and Salah kind of lowered expectations. They did it in the way they spoke to the media, what they said, and they did it through their actions. When they went with the team that was this young, this inexperienced, you knew that there were going to be struggles. And I think expectations play a role in this. You know, you go back to 2008 when the Jets got rid of Eric Mangini. They had just traded for Brett Favre. They started 8-3. and three. There were Super Bowl expectations. When the team collapsed down the stretch, it was held against Mangini because of expectations. I don't think those expectations existed heading into the season. I think the Jets knew that they were going to be bad, and that makes a big difference because Salah was never going to be held to the standard that this needs to be a good team this year. He may be held to other st standards, but it was never going to be a case where there was going to be a likely scenario where Salah was going to get fired. So I don't see it happening. Listen, you can never rule anything out, especially when you're dealing with Woody and Chris Johnson, but... I think at this point, I would be shocked if Robert Salo was not the head coach of the Jets week one, 2022. Ahead on the Locked on Jets podcast, we will finish this weekly mailbag show, but why don't you get a snack? And may I suggest Built Bar? In fact, this holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, or even better than a candy bar. Built Bar, filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor, covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy, with so many flavors. You'll have a hard time choosing. Well, you have a raspberry or a mint brownie or a cherry or a double chocolate or cookies and cream. And Built Bar gives you the extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all of the holiday shoppers. Or if you're standing in endless shopping lines, Built Bar can give you that something extra to keep you going. So throw on your jacket right now. You never know when you're going to need it. Because... It's the season of peace, and don't bring up your favorite Built Bar flavor at family parties. People are so passionate about their favorite flavor that they'll fight for it, and things could get out of hand. If you're friends with Santa, tell Santa to throw a few Built Bars in those stockings. 
With so many flavors, they'd make anybody's Christmas morning a happy one. Want to cozy up with something warm? Here's a holiday secret. Dip your Built Bar into a piping hot cup of cocoa, let it melt a little, and give your beverage a bit of that Built Bar flavor. Plus, you'll have a nice melty Built Bar to go with it. Be sure to have a couple napkins on hand, though. And like some of those marshmallowy treats around the holidays, you'll need to get your hands on Built Bar Puffs. They're light, fluffy, and marshmallowy through and through. Different flavors all covered in chocolate, and they taste so good you won't believe that they're filled with protein. So go to Built.com. If you enter promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15, one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T dot com. This is the Locked on Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday show. Our next question, would it be rude to send Jamal Adams a thank you letter? You know, sometimes as a general manager, it's better to be lucky than to be good. And I think this might be the case with Jamal Adams because... My educated guess is that if all things were equal, Joe Douglas would have signed him to a big extension. I think most general managers after the start of his career Jamal Adams had would have tried to lock that player up long term. And the Jets would now be stuck in a bad contract with a guy who has regressed a great deal since his early success with the Jets. But because he pretty much forced his way out of town, the Jets now have an extra first-round pick this year, and they have Elijah Vera Tucker, a guy who could be a long-term building block on their offensive line. It's amazing how many times you see teams get lucky, and sometimes you get unlucky, but this was a case where I think the Jets were more lucky than they were good. Now, good job getting those first-round picks from Seattle. I do think Joe Douglas did a good job with that. I think that it would have been very easy to make a panic trade and just take what he could get. He waited for the right offer, so credit in that respect, but definitely, I think, a case where Maybe the Jets got a little bit lucky because the player wanted out, and that player has gone on to his new team and been an enormous disappointment, and that team paid the Jets an enormous price for him. Next question. What team has surprised you most this year, either in a good way or a bad way? Well, I think it has to be Arizona. I don't think anybody saw that coming, that they'd be off to this kind of start this season. Now they have to finish it. Plenty of times you see teams jump off to very quick starts and then not sustain it, and maybe they fall off near the end and they end up going out early in the playoffs. So they need to sustain it. But, you know, even looking at the NFC West this year, which everybody thought was going to be a great division, very competitive, which, you know, Seattle's really not lived up to their end of the bargain, I don't think anybody saw this coming from Arizona. So I think they would be my team as the best surprise. So we'll, we'll keep it positive. I'll give you a positive surprise, Arizona. Next question, what are your festivist plans for this year? Well, of course, you gather the family around the aluminum pole and tell them all the ways that they've disappointed you at dinner. And that's the traditional festivist. And that's from an episode of Seinfeld, in case you aren't familiar. Classic episode. I highly recommend watching it. One of the best episodes of Seinfeld there was. It was in the final season. So looking for something to put you in the holiday spirit, that episode of Seinfeld will be my recommendation for the day. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Locked on Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Wednesday, everybody, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.